You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. We, we left our story in the Mishnah of Sukkah in the third chapter at the reading of the Hallel. The third chapter essentially deals with taking the Lulav, but we're going to shake the Lulav while we recite the Hallel. So the, the Mishnah shifts between the Lulav and Hallel. And we were talking yesterday about which verses we repeat in the Hallel. And then the Mishnah raises the question. This is now the 10th Mishnah of the third chapter. What about someone who can't read? Because we have to we have to recite the Hallel. So what if we what if what if somebody can't read? What happens? And the Mishnah explains, Someone who has a slave or a woman or a child read for him. Makrin is more than read for him. It's literally, it means to make him read. Essentially, it's to read out the words for him. Someone who has someone else read out the words for him. He repeats after them what they say, as if they recite the words of the Hallel, and then he recites them word for word after that. And then the Mishnah closes with an extraordinary statement, and a curse shall be upon him. As if to say, look, in theory, you could fulfill the mitzvah, by getting someone else to read and then repeating the words after them. But the idea, a Jewish person who, there's there's somehow nothing more shameful than the idea of a Jewish person who is illiterate, who can't read for himself. And I I cannot remember actually seeing the word curse appear, appear in the Mishnah, you know, with respect to someone who's trying to fulfill a mitzvah, with respect to a Jew who's trying to fulfill a mitzvah. It's an extraordinary criticism and it, it's extraordinary. I guess it's a witness to how the Mishnah views someone who can't read, particularly, of course, someone after the temple's been destroyed when the Jewish life depends really on the on verbal Torah. It's someone who can't read is, is um, gosh, is cut off really from his tradition. And there's a parallel text in the Gemara. There's a brighter in Sukkah that uses ex- exactly the same language about saying about saying uh, the, the grace after meals, birkatamazon. Someone who needs his, uh, his wife or a child or a slave to say the birkatamazon for him is um it's the same language a, a curse should be on him somehow the 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 idea that the, the idea that someone cannot read is an idea that fills the mishnah with absolute and the mishnah and the gemara with absolute horror now if an adult is reading for him if an adult is reading for him and this is someone who essentially fulfills the mitzvah on his own, if there's an adult reading for him, he just says hallelujah after him. And this is how, um, I mean, this is the practice in some synagogues today, that the reader will read out the hallel and people will say, people will answer sort of responsively. And so maybe that's a precursor of the Beit Knesset today.
And the Mishnah then goes on really to talk about how they would read Hallel. In, this is probably in Beit HaKnesset because it refers to various places. So we're not talking about Migdash here. We're talking about Beit Knesset. In a place where the custom is to repeat, they repeat. To say once, one should say once. To recite a blessing afterwards. This is the blessing, Melech Mulal Batishbachot, which we now say, by the way, routinely after Hallel, but it, it would seem, and we, we know there's a, a, a bracha before saying Hallel, which I presume they were saying in the time of the Mishnah, but this is the bracha afterwards, Melech Mulal Batishbachot. Maybe this, this seems to be an optional bracha, because in the places where they used to say, they, they would say it, and then, um, Presumably where they don't say it, they don't say it. Hakol kamin hagamadina. Everything depends on local custom. Halokeach lulav mechaveroba shvi'it. Neten lo etrog b'matana lefi she'ein rashai l'akho ba shvi'it. Someone who buys a lulav from his friend in the seventh year. This is the sabbatical year. Now here we're going to get really interesting. A lulav. Someone purchasing a lulav from his fellow. Well, a lulav is wood. A lulav is not food. So in theory, we, we know we can trade a lulav in the sabbatical year. It's not sabbatical year produce. We've learned that. Sticks are just sticks. But Noten lo etrog b'matana. He should give him the etrog as a gift. Lefisha ein rashai lulakho bashvit. He should give him the etrog as a gift. Well, we've mentioned already that the etrog is the only one of the four species that is edible. It's pre hadar. It's a fruit of the goodly tree or of the beautiful tree. And in fact, we've mentioned already the fact that it has to be edible, right? It has to be um, in a state that it can be eaten. And of course, if it's an edible fruit, it is caught by the laws of Shvi'it, by the laws of seventh-year produce. And of course, we can't trade it. We can't trade seventh-year produce. So what are we going to do? We're going to buy the lulav, but the etrog is going to be somehow incorporated in the price. Or let's say the price of the etrog is going to be X, and then the Sorry, the price of the lulav is going to be X. And then the etrog is going to be given as a gift. And that way we observe the sabbatical year. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Barishona haya lulav nital bamikdash shiva uva medina yom echad. Originally, the lulav was taken for seven days in the temple and in the provinces just for one day. And we can get this from the Pasuk. Remember, we, when we began the third chapter, we looked at, at uh, well, one crucial Pasuk. There's just one Pasuk, really, where you need to know off by heart. And we, it's in Parsh of Emor. You shall take for yourself on the first day. So there's a special mitzvah on the first day. These are the four spice, the four species, the fruit, the branches, the branch of the thick tree, and the willow of the brook. And then 
That's on the first day. Usmachtem lifnei Hashem Eloheichem shivat yamim. And you shall rejoice between the Lord your God seven days. So, is it one day or is it seven days? The Pasuk mentions both possibilities. But the seven days are lifnei Hashem Eloheichem. They're before God. And the rabbis learn that the seventh day rejoicing, Lifnei Hashem, that refers to being in the temple. And if we think, therefore, that we're going to take the, the, the lulav, therefore, seven days, Lifnei Hashem, in the temple, but we have to take it one day in any case, now we can sort of understand our Mishnah. Originally, the love was taken for seven days in the temple because it says, Yeah, we're going to be happy for seven days. In the rest of the province is just one day because the verse begins by saying, Just on the first day. Zeicher Lamidash. Once the temple was destroyed, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai decreed that the lulav should be taken in the provinces for seven days in memory of the temple. So in other words, he's extending the mitzvah. He's actually adding to the mitzvah from one to seven days. And it's very interesting. We're going to learn, uh, please God, we'll get to the Mishnah of Rosh Hashanah and we'll learn that uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai blows the shofar in Yavne after the destruction of the temple, when previously it was on Shabbat, when previously on Shabbat it would only have been blown in the temple. So we can see Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai is, is, um, is adapting. He, he's the, the transition figure between the old and the new, and he's adapting. He's, he's adapting the times, and this is part of his adaptation. He's actually extending the mitzvah of, he's extending the mitzvah of Sukkah from one to seven days. And furthermore, um, furthermore, and on the whole of the day of waving, it should be forbidden. Now, now this is, this may sound a little bit of, a little bit obscure. What does it mean that it should be forbidden on the whole of the day of waving? And we're not talking about lulav here. We're not talking about lulav. We're actually back at Pesach. Let's go back and look at a couple of pesukim. The day of waning, the day of waving. We're back in the parsha of Emor, by the way. So we're in the same parsha we were looking at a second ago. And he shall wave the Omer before the Lord to be accepted for you. This is the Kohen waving the Omer. This is on Pesach. On the day after the Shabbat, the priest is going to wave it. And Rashi explains there, and he's following the, probably the, I'm sure he's following the Sifra, the day after the Sabbath. This actually refers to the first day of Passover, i.e. the 16th of Nisan. Because <laughs> if you mean it means a Shabbat that, you know, marks the beginning of the world, um, uh, how do you know which Shabbat it is? 
you you have got no idea which of the 52 Shabbatot in the year it is. So it must refer to the day after Pesach. So the day after Pesach, the Kohen is going to wave the Omer. And the Torah continues, just skipping three verses from verse 11 to verse 14. Neither bread, nor parched corn, nor fresh ears shall you eat until this day. Until you brought the offering of your God. And this is the Omer offering. In other words, until the Omer has been waived, the new crop is forbidden. Everybody partakes of the new crop together, rich and poor. This may be a democratization factor, actually. It would stop rich people buying the new crop in advance. It would stop rich people buying the new crop before it becomes widely distributed. Anyway, I mean, there's probably a whole shear to be given on this, but the new crop is forbidden until the Omer has been brought. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do when the Beit Midash no longer stands? So when the Beit Midash does stand, people will be looking at that Omer sacrifice. And when it is waved at that point, at exactly at that point, they can eat the new crop. And Rabbi Yochanan, so let's go back now to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. The whole of the 16th, the whole of the 16th of Nisan, the new crop is forbidden. Because we, we don't have the temple. So we don't really know when the waving would have taken place. And so we're going to put off the time when the new crop could be eaten until right at the end of the day. We're going to react, if you like, to the destruction of the temple by moving the boundary of time a little bit. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.